good. All right. Hey, welcome to Sunday service, everyone. We love you. We miss you. We are happy that you are here. Thank you for joining us on a wonderful Sunday. It's gloomy, but you know what? I actually kind of like this weather today. Just nice and cool, a little fresh, get rid of that heat over that mug, dude. All right. Hey, uh, today is uh, September 26th. It's uh, my queen's birthday. Is that, is that the right phrasing? Is that, is that say it right? The queen? Yeah? Yeah. You know, my, uh, my son, my son, <laughs> hilarious this morning. He was like, he woke up, he said, oh, happy birthday, mom. Happy 38th birthday, right? And then she was like, I'm not 38. And he like, I'm just trying to help you out, mom. Come on. I was like, oh, it's like, dude, I'm mad because I should have said that first. Oh, God, you won so many points so early in the morning. We are in a series called The Transforming Power of Jesus, right? And up to this point, we have seen the, the author, Matthew, as he recounts and retells the, 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 the life of Jesus. He's done this unbelievable abductive reasoning where he's, he's shown that Jesus is, is power, has power over the physical well-being of a life. He's, he's shown that Jesus has power over nature itself. He's shown that Jesus has power over the supernatural itself. And the conclusion that we had last week was that because of these things, Jesus is God. He has the power to forgive sins. He is God, right? And how are you going to respond to that? And so today, it's really that, that answer. How are you going to respond to that? Do you know if your life is actually in response to that? Have you been truly awakened by that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie to you. I fancy myself as a pretty good cook, right? And I also fancy myself as knowing how to eat a steak pretty well, okay? And knowing how to cook it. There's techniques to when you cook a steak. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's specific, you can't just like, throw it on the pat. You have to keep it to room temperature. You got to pick out the right marbling of the steak. You got to get the temperature high enough. You got to sear it to the right degree. And you get, there's, like, there's a whole technique behind it, right? And I thought I was pretty good at this, right? And I thought I've been, go, I've been coasting through my life thinking, mm, I got this. I know how to make a good steak the other day. I've been awakened, right? I went to a brother's house, and he just called us over to have dinner, and, and we had a steak. And then after I ate it, I was like, I feel like my whole life has been a lie. Like, what have I been doing my whole entire, like, you know, whatever I thought was good technique, he just took it, and he went like one level above that, right? Homeboy, he, he has a whole slab, puts a membrane over it, and dry ages it in this perfectly humidified refrigerator that he bought just for it, right, for 35 days, okay? Then he takes it out. Let me tell you the story. Oh, it's so good. Tells you the story. He takes it out, and then he cuts it in perfect 16 ounces, okay? Not 12, not 10, 16, okay? Exactly one pound. Then he seals it in a, a compound bone marrow butter, right, for a day, just to marinate that, okay? And then he sous vide it the next day for three hours, or an hour and a half today, he ran out of time. So he did it for about an hour and a half, right? Okay, oh dude, dude, it's not too much, okay? And then he takes it out to his grill, which has this infrared grill. Can get up to 100, 1,000 degrees, I heard, right? And he just sears it, all three, and then you bite into it. And you feel like you've just been awakened from a, from a dream, right? I, I've had steak before. I'm not, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not even trying to like boost them up at this point. I'm telling you, I've had steak before. This was mind-blowing. Okay? I, I can't even drop his name because if I drop his name, we're just going to rant to his house and then it's going to be game over, okay? It's going to be poor. But I'm just saying, it's, it's crazy, crazy good, right? And I think it's, I had to fit that into the message somehow. So uh, it's in the same way, it's the same way, it's like this. 
It's, it's the Christian life. You can feel like you've been coasting through it pretty well, right? But there's a difference between calling yourself a Christian and being awakened, being awakened to it. There's a difference between going through the motion of Christianity and then being awakened and being grasped by Christianity, being grasped by Jesus. There's a difference between walking in line and connection and relationship to Jesus and actually being grasped by that relationship. And so up to this point, Matthew has beautifully laid out this, this reasoning saying he has power over this, he has power over this, he has power over this. The conclusion is he is God. So will you wake up? Will you be awakened to this, right? What Matthew is saying is that what I bring to the table is so unique, it's so different, it's so distinct, it's absolutely awakening. And what I want to share with you today is very sim- something very simple, this idea. Majority of the time, your faith has been constructed by the leaders, by your parents, by your family, given to you. It's been constructed by them. You know why? Because they have grown to give it to you. They fought their battle of faith. They've questioned their faith. They've dealt with their faith. They wrestled with their faith. They've earned the wisdom that's been fought hard for their faith. And they give it to you. But the problem with them giving it to you is it's not yours. It was their faith to you. And so you take this faith and you like it, you either do a couple things, you either coast through it and you hold on to it and you're like, okay, I'll just hang on to it because it's my family's faith or my teacher's faith or my leader's faith or my church's faith. But it's never been yours because you've never begun to do the questioning of, hey, what is this really about? You've never deconstructed, you never doubted, you, you never asked enough questions to deal with it to make it your own. Because when you make it your own, the response that happens is you become awakened. Because when you make it your own, no longer are you just dealing with it by coasting through it, you are engaging with it in such a way where you're being grasped by it. it, You own it, it becomes yours. It becomes something that you fight for because you have done the wisdom, the hard-earned wisdom of fighting and constructing and building it. So today what I wanna share with you guys is this. I want to share with you the call of Matthew and how it looks like, what it looks like to know that you've been called. What does it look like to know that you are in that, in that journey of that battle of being called, that, that you are wrestling with the call that Christ has in your life, that you are allowing him to grasp you rather than you just going around and just kind of coasting through your life. Because up to this point, Matthew very smartly, he puts this thing, all these things that happen first, and then he puts his call. Because he's the author, right? He's the author of this book. And now he's going to share the moment when he was called. And up to this point, there's only one solution or one answer to, to, to this situation after Matthew is called. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. All right? And I want to share with you some distinctive characteristics of what it looks like to know that you are called. Three things to see if you are called if God is grasping in your heart, if you are wrestling in your faith, if you are dealing with it faithfully. Three distinctive characteristics that you see here. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. This is the call of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. 
and Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to sinners. Right? The Christian life, when you are grasped by it, it is an awakening. It is something that begins to change you to such a degree where you are no longer saying, how could I have lived this way? How could, I have, how could I possibly continue to live this way? But there is an awakening that says, I must change the way I live. Here it is. Three things. Three distinctive characteristics. The first thing is that you sense that Jesus is in charge. You sense that Jesus is in charge. So here's Matthew doing what? Matthew, Jesus found Matthew doing what he basically does every day. He goes to work. He collects taxes. He writes down information. He gives his bill. He makes sure they pay. He does this every single day. This is safe. This is easy. This is simple. This is stable. This is basic. He does this. Everything is normal, right? And then Jesus shows up into his life after all of this has happened. And Matthew's been around that area, so he knows the story of Jesus. He knows what's going on. And Jesus shows up into his life And he says, Matthew, follow me. Follow me. Leave this behind. Leave what you think is simple, is easy, what's comfortable. Leave what you want to and be pulled by me in a different direction. Allow for me to drag you somewhere else. See, you know that God is calling you. You know that there's a grasping of his hand upon your heart when you sense that someone else is in charge of your life. So here you are, you're living your life, and you're about to make a decision. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then there's something in your heart that says, don't do it. Go the other way. There is an inclination in your heart that tells you, look, I know this is easy. I know this is fun. I know this is simple. I know this is what's stable. I know this is what everyone else is doing. I know this is what your culture is telling you. I know that this is how everyone views it. I want you to not listen and follow me. There's a dragging of your heart away from that. There's a pulling of saying, you know, rather than doing this, do this. And you fight and you wrestle and you're angry sometimes. And this is how you know you're probably in the right place. You have what I call um, worldly withdrawal. You know, if, someone, if, you, if you see someone who's like kind of like um, messed up or coked up or heroined up, right, and they have to go through withdrawal, what happens? They're leaving something that's the safe, basic, and simple for them, and they're going towards healing. But by going through that healing, what do they go through? They go through anger, frustration. They, they lash out. There's a lot of uh, passion. There's a lot of um, animosity. There's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. They begin to manifest even sickness in this process because they're going through withdrawal, right? And in the same way, when you begin to say, I know that that's what you're asking of me, God. I know that this is what your word is saying. I, 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 I want this, though. A stable life, financial freedom, I want this. I desire this. But then God says, I, but I have something else for you. I have something else I want you to go to. I'm in charge of that. Would you trust me in this? Would you surrender this? Would you let it go? I know that you want this guy. I know that you want this girl. I know that you want to live with them. I know that you want to have a stable relationship with them. Can you let it go? Can you surrender? Can you trust that I am in charge. Do you feel that pull? 
Do you sense that pull in your life? Because when that pull is there, that's something that's going on. See, an author that once said this, the, crazy, the, the, the scariest thing that can ever happen is for a Christian who do not want to obey God, who fights every ends to disobey him, to, to not do what he asks us to do, and yet still do it, still surrender in obedience. That is the craziest, that, that, is, the, that is the deepest of devotion, and that is a heart that knows that there is something else in charge of their life. What's in charge of your life? You see, you can coast through Christianity. Of course, you can pick up the, the tenets, the ideals, the, the wisdom that comes from it. You can pick up all these things. But Christianity is not just some sort of ideology that you just kind of follow. It is an awakening to a relationship with someone. And it's a pull away from a life and towards something different. Do you sense that there is someone in charge of you? Do you sense that Jesus is in charge of you? That when he speaks, you move. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is, you bend your will to him. Do you sense that in your life? Or do you, and let's, let's be honest here, and you, can't, you can be honest here, right? Do you just kind of just go with it anyways? And you go through the motion of speaking with lip service of Christianity, of Jesus, I believe, and I have a relationship. But really, what I have is what I want. Is there a pull in your life? Do you sense that he has that call for you? That if he says right now, I want you to surrender. I want you to surrender this idea of finances to me. I want you to surrender this picture of relationship to me. I want you to surrender what it looks like to be in a job and a career to me. I want you to surrender what it looks like to be a fa- I want you to surrender. Would you do it? Would you be at least burdened by that, right? Would you trust me in that? Would you obey? I mean, I only have one great testimony to share, guys, and this is the one I always keep sharing all my, time, all my life, but it's, it's truly the same thing, right? It's, 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 it's you know, when, when I was a, a believer and God was beginning to grasp my heart, I'm, not telling, I'm telling you the truth, I, I became a Buddhist to a Christian, right? And as I, as I, was, tr- I was moving towards that transition, you know, it, it was hard to kind of wrestle with Jesus and trying to figure out what he wants, Right? But I knew something was happening in my heart because there are times when I would really want something, but there's a pull away from that. And one of the times that really shook my heart was the time when, you know, I've, I've dated my wife since high school, right? I've dated my wife at that time since high school. High school, I wanted to be like a drama, you know, Korean drama story where it's going to be just beautiful towards the end. I dated her since high school, and in this moment where I was in relationship with her, right? This was easy. This was fun. This was simple. This was basic. This is how it's meant to be, right? This is how I like it. This is how, you know, the world tells me a relationship should look like. It's fine. And then I get the pull. I get the call that someone, Jesus Christ, being in charge of my life, having this call upon my life, he begins to pull, and he says, let her go. Let what go, God? Someone that is there, Someone that has been around with, it's been four years. What are you thinking? Let her go. Would you trust me? Would you follow me? Would you obey me? Would you surrender to me? Am I in charge of your life? Because I have the power over life. I have the power over nature. I have the power 
over the supernatural. I have the power to forgive your sin. I am God. But am I in charge of your life? And I had worldly withdrawals, right? Because when I broke up with her, it wasn't like, yay, I'm so happy. It was constant like, I'm, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life, right? I'm, I'm going to be a lonely man. Back, back in days in college, we, we, uh, I was in the Korean group, and you know, not Korean, like Korean church group, uh, campus ministry, not, Korean, not a group, but we were in there, and all the boys, because you know, we, we didn't date back then, so all the boys, we, we, uh, during, during the fall season, it was the worst, it was the fall season, the, the winds were blowing, it was cool, everyone's walking down the street with their loved ones, and just all these Korean boys and, and me sitting in their home just eating ramen, like, we're going to be single forever, guys. He's like, yeah. Right? And they have a phrase in Korean. I don't know how to say it in Korean, but the, the translation is, is um, catching the leaves. Right? Because it's so beautiful. The, the last, last sense of beauty, and all you can do is just, just chase after because you'll never, you'll never have it. It's dead. Right? You just, just, that's it. It's catching the leaves. It's, it's really, that's, that's the phrase. And I remember sitting there, and I was just so like, upset. I'm like, I, I could have been in a relationship. I couldn't have a girlfriend. I could have be married probably right by now or not really but at least in that area and now let it go because you told me you were in charge right do you sense that something greater is in charge and that's just in relationship wise but i'm talking about your finances your careers i'm talking about the way you conduct yourself is somebody greater in charge or is it you because the way you know that you're just coasting through Christian life or that you've been grasped by Jesus is that there is a pull and a tug upon your heart So Jesus is in charge. I need to bend my will to him. But here's a second sign that Jesus is in charge or that, 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 that you have been called distinctly by him, that there's an awakening happening in your life, that you're seeing the world for the first time. Here is a second sign of a believer that's been called by Christ, is that you are being confronted with Jesus himself, right? Look at these guys. What did they do? They, after Jesus called them to follow him, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. They dealt with Jesus. They didn't deal with his teachings yet. Do you guys realize that? If, if they walked in and, and they hear everything about his teaching, they would have walked back out. They knew, that they, were, they knew that there was something wrong with them, but they didn't, deal, they didn't deal with what he was teaching them about. They dealt with him. They asked the question, is he really who he says he is? If he is, then we need to sit at this table and really reconsider our lifestyle, really reconsider our life choices. Is he really who he says he is? So a lot of people, they will come to me and they ask me questions like, hey, PT, can I cohabitate with my wife or my girlfriend at this time or live with them? Hey, PT, can I, can I, can I, what do you say about drinking? What about tattoos, right? PT, what, what does the Bible say about sex outside of marriage? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about marrying a non-believer? They ask all these questions, which, by the way, are great questions. I don't want to downgrade and say these are bad questions. You should definitely ask these questions, but they're not the first question you should ask. The first question you should ask is, is Jesus really who he says he is? Because if he is, if he is truly who he says he is, if he is the one that has authority, if he is creator, if he is the one who is the source of beauty, if he is the one who is the source of wisdom, if he is the one who is the source of truth, if he is who he says he is, then everything else follows. Then there must be a reason 
there must be a reason for what he asks you to do after that. You may not like it, but it must be for your good, right? I'll give you an example, right? When you burn your finger, right, what, what, what do, what do uh, people tell you to do? When, you, when, you, when you're cooking, you burn your finger, what do you, what people tell you to put on it? Tomato juice? What? what? Tomato? Mayo, mayo, all right, mayo, all right. Well, you know, I, mine was toothpaste. Anybody, does anyone heard toothpaste? All right, toothpaste, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I burned my finger. My dad said, put on toothpaste. And I was like, why? That's ridiculous. I didn't know anything about this. First time happening is to put on toothpaste. And I was like, that's so weird. Like, it's, I, toothpaste is for your teeth. Why would you put it on a burn? But he said, put on toothpaste. So what did I do? I did it, right? I didn't actually say all those things out loud just in my head as I, as I was walking to the bathroom. I was like, why am I putting on toothpaste? This is silly, right? But I did it. Why? Not because of some understanding of how toothpaste works on burns, right? I did it simply because he was my father. And he told me toothpaste works. I have no other understanding of why he's telling me to do this, but I trust my father. The instructions that he gives to me was not meant to make it worse, but meant to make it better. So if he tells me toothpaste, no matter how weird and how out there it sounds, I'm going to go put on toothpaste. And I put on toothpaste, and to this day, I still do toothpaste, right? So much so that I remember when we moved into our home, um, I burned my finger, and I said, Trisha, give me toothpaste. And she's like, Why? I said, just please give me toothpaste, right? I'm your husband, trust me, right? And she'd bring the toothpaste and I'll put it on and it works, you know? So much so that now when I'm cooking, she left a tube of toothpaste in the cooking drawer. Whenever I, whenever I'm, whenever I burn my finger, which is all the time, right? I said, honey, can I get a toothpaste? Like, it's in the drawer. I'm like, oh, thanks, babe, right? You know? So here's the thing. The way that you know that you're being grasped by this call that you're being grasped by Jesus, that you're not just coasting through this religious idea, is that you are following him. You're not following his teaching. You're not following, you're not considering who is the better teacher, who isn't the better teacher, which philosophy is nicer, which philosophy is not so great. You're following him, the maker, the creator, the truth of the ages, the source of beauty, the source of wisdom. You're following him. You're asking the question, is Jesus who he says he is, then if it is so, if it is so, then if he asks you, cut off your arm, the only response that's logical would be, how high up do you want me to start, God? Right? And you're thinking it's silly, it's crazy, but if he is God, if he is God, then everything else follows for your flourishing. He, does, he did this before. We have precedence of this in the Bible, the story of Abraham. God told Abraham to do what? Sacrifice his only son. Now, some of us, you know, we're very young, right? And so we just had kids for the first time. We're like, I ain't sacrificing nothing, right? Abraham is 100 years old-ish when he had his first son. Or Isaac, when he had Isaac, right? 100 years. You know what he learned in 100 years of his life? He learned that this God... This God can be trusted. This God is faithful. This God is true. This God is reality. This God is God. So if he calls me to sacrifice my son, there must be a reason. And I also know this, and the Bible says, God promised Abraham that Abraham's family and lineage will only come through this son. 
So Abraham, not understanding how this is going to work out, not knowing the plan, not figuring out the A, B, C, Ds, or E's, not understanding the pathway, simply knows this. If God asks me to sacrifice my son, there must be a way that God will bring my son back to life. Because he promised, through my son will come my family. Through my son will come the nations of Israel. Through my son will come the promise. That's the reality of Abraham to God. And so Abraham did it. And when Abraham was willing to say, I surrender, not maybe I'll give it a shot or maybe I'll try it. I'll kind of fake it. I'll go up there. I'll fake the whole thing like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to sacrifice my son. You see it, you know? But when he in his heart made the commitment, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to put you in charge. I'm going to surrender because it's you that I'm dealing with. Not the ideas, not the ideology, not the information. I'm dealing with you and you are faithful. You are true. You are God. You are who you say you are. And so, and you are good. And so what does he do? He pulls up the dagger and he's about to place it upon his son and God says, stop. Now I know. Now I know your true heart. Now I know that you are for me. Now I know that you understand who I am. And in that moment, God says, take Isaac off, put something else on. I provide the sacrifice for you. I'll provide the lamb. Right? My question to you is, and it's very simple, have you dealt with Jesus? Have you earnestly wrestled with who he is? Have you asked that question? Because if you have, then everything else falls in line with it. If you ask that question, Jesus, if you are truly who you say you are, then what you say about sex ethics must be for my good. What you say about the institution of marriage must be for my good. What you say about my future, my choices, and doing work that is actually for the good, not just for the money, must be for my good. What you say about raising kids must be for my good. What you say about character as a man to protect, to provide, must be for my good. What you call on the characters of a woman to love, to support, must be for my good. What you call about life, the sanctity and the protection of it, must be for my good. If he is who he says he is, that's the question you start first. Don't start with the question is, does this fit with my lifestyle? Does what Jesus say fit with my lifestyle? Does the Bible say fit with my lifestyle? Start with the question, Jesus, are you who you are? Because if you are who you are, then the only answer I have for you is whatever you desire, I will do. Let me tell you guys something. If God is holiness, and we talk about holiness all the time, but if, if God is truly holy, this holiness of God, holiness of God, the word definition basically is saying he's distinct, he's unique, he's sacred, he is untouchable. But you know what holiness means? Holiness for you means this. If he is holy, he is perfect, he can never sin, and therefore he can never sin against you. If he can never sin against you, then the most safest place that you can be is under his care. Because that is his characteristic. Have you made an actual decision about who Jesus Christ is? Have you wrestled with it? Or are you going through the motion of just dealing with, I don't like what this is saying, I don't like what that is saying, I don't like what this is saying. I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. Great. There are a lot of things I don't agree with either. I'm probably in the same boat with you. But the craziest thing for a believer to do is that even though they don't like it, they still obey. Because in the ultimate end, 
It is for our good. If he is who he says he is. If Jesus is not who he says he is, you don't have to be here, church. You don't have to be here. Because this will be just all useless and nuanced. But our leaders, our teachers, myself, I battled the battle. We fought the fight. We're still fighting the fight. And the faith that we have is because we've engaged with a living God. And I'm sharing this with you, not so that you can just take it like, okay, I'm sharing this with you so that you would fight the fight, that you would do the battle, that you would ask the question, that you would make a real reality with God, that you would sit at his table and ask the question, hey, I know who I am, but if he says who he says he is, then I need to get myself in line. I need to figure out what is it that is in my life that needs to change. Look at these guys. They were tax collectors. They were, the shun of the, they were the shun of their culture of that time. Nobody liked them. They were swindlers and cheats. And, and the Bible says other people came, other sinners came. Who knows? Prostitutes were probably there. Other people were probably there sitting there. But why did they sit there? Because Jesus was a nice guy and he was like, oh, I like him. He sounds cool. He sounds accepting. No. They didn't sit there because they felt he was accepting. They sat there because they realized there's something powerful about this one. He is not just some dude off the street preaching something nice. There is something real about who he says he is. And if that's the case, I have to really ask the question, what am I going to do in light of that? Three distinctive characteristics that you know that God is calling you and grasping your heart, that you're not just coasting through Christianity, that you're being grasped by this faith. One, you know that Jesus is in charge. You sense that he is in charge. But two, you've dealt with him. You've dealt with him. Did he come back from the dead? Is he God? You've dealt with that. You've come to the conclusion. If the answer is no, cool. Be consistent with that. There's no reason for you to be here. But if the answer is yes, and if you actually wrestle with that, if you actually wrestle with that and the answer is yes, then everything else follows. Then what is it that I need to do while I sit at this table with him? And lastly, last distinctive characteristic here, okay? So on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You learn the difference between mercy and sacrifice. You are a person of mercy, not sacrifice. You know what sacrifice is? Sacrifice is this foolish, flawed argument that people believe that religious things are the same. See, everyone, if, if you ask someone just out there, hey, what, what's, what do you think about religion in general? And they say, oh, they have the same tenets. You know, you do these things, you're in good standing with God. You don't do these things, you're in bad standing with God. That's not Christianity, by the way. Let me repeat that again. Your act, your sacrifice to God for his pleasure or for his, for his love towards you is not Christianity. Christianity is not about you doing something to earn his love. It's not about you sacrificing your time and now God must love me. Or the opposite, Christianity is not about you not sacrificing and now you feel unworthy of him. Christianity is not about what you done because Jesus didn't say, I desire grace. He said, I desire mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is I already know what you've done. Mercy is I already know where you are. And if I had to judge you at this spot, you will be judged completely for it. But mercy says, because I know, I still will not judge you. I still will not condemn you, giving you what you don't deserve. Right? 
not giving you what you deserve, actually. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. What you deserve is judgment. Mercy is not giving it to you. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, to know that you've been grasped by Christianity, that you come to the conclusion in your mind, God does not love me, does not want me, does not care for me based on what I do for him. It's what he has done for me already. And my life is a response to that love. That's it. So if you're sitting there and you think your Christian life is all about, I need to perform A, B, C, D, and E in order to find myself in a Christian format. That's not Christianity. If you think that that's how God is, that's not my God. That's a made-up God that you ever heard from some book or some professor that you heard from 101 or whatever. That's not my God. My God is a God that says this. Regardless of who you are, I have loved you. For the joy set before me, I will take the cross for you. What I know you deserve, I will not give to you, but I will give you what you don't even deserve. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize the difference there? Do you recognize when you stand before God, what I should have is his judgment, but what I do have is his mercy instead? What should have been given to me is wrath, but what I've been given is grace instead. Do you recognize that in your heart? Or are you sitting there thinking, I just need to show up more to church, and then everything will be good. I just need to serve a couple more places, and everything will be fine. I just need to fill in the blank for Jesus, and then he will finally love me. Or are you sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm just basically screwed because I'm unworthy across the board. That's not Christianity. Jesus Christ was cut off for you. He knew what you deserve. And instead of giving it to you, he took it upon himself. It's the wrath of God. He took it upon himself. And what he gave you instead is a doorway. Would you open this door and follow me? How would you respond to him now? See, are you grasped by Christ? Are you grasped by Jesus? Or are you just merely trying to grasp at him? The call of a Christian, guys, is if you sense that there's something tugging at you, there's a power greater than you, you're being called. If you've dealt with him and you're wrestling with him and you're mad at him as you wrestle with him, because you can't believe it, but you know it's true. You hate it, but you know it's true. The emotion you feel behind it, that's how you feel, but you know it's true, and then you obey anyways. Have you dealt with him? Lastly, have you dealt with this picture of sacrifice? It's not about what you have done, but what he has done for you. See, that's why in our church, we we, we are very real on this picture. There is no such thing as a lost cause. We don't believe in lost causes here. We don't believe that anyone is outside the realm of that because we know that what? It's not about what you do. See, lost causes, people call, call someone lost causes because they can't get it right. They can't get up. They can't fix themselves. They can't make things right. And But Christianity says, you're right. You can't get up. You can't fix yourself. You can't do this. God has to do it for you. Jesus has to do it for you. 
And when you have grasped that in your heart, you realize what? I am saved and I am loved and I am moved only by God's grace. Only because he allowed it. What I deserved was so much worse and what I got was infinitely so beautiful. Do you grasp that in your heart? Or do you still look at people and judge them based on what they don't do and what they do do? Right? So brothers and sisters, my hope and my prayer for you is wrestle with God. Fight your doubts. Deal with your doubts. Deal with it. But come to the conclusion of who Jesus is. You got to come to the real conclusion of who Jesus is. Otherwise, we're just playing a game. There's no power there. Otherwise, we're just going through emotion. We're just an organization. The church is a living entity, a living body, transformed by his power to do his work and his mission for the world, to bring Eden, to bring beauty back into a world that's constantly dark and lost and broken. He calls you to create Eden back to wherever you step. But that does not happen if you are not transformed. That does not happen if you are not grasped by his love and by who he is. That does not happen if you are not transformed by him. So my prayer is, do what you got to do, but ask the real question. Is Jesus who he says he is? Get rid of the other questions. Fight that question first. If he is, then surrender the rest. Let's pray.